Get ready to rock with David Randall. Playing all the best in rock music just for you. Do you think if you'd have held things together, Clark, in the 1990s and beyond? I know the 1990s, as you've already mentioned, it was a difficult time for a lot of bands. You know, that the industry was changing. Um, do you think, you know, if, if you had have persisted, you could have had a, perhaps a more durable career in, in the band context, um, equivalent, say, to a band like perhaps Duran Duran? tough one because you know there's also Depeche Mode would be a good example as well yes. uh, and you've got to think about the fact that Depeche Mode and Duran Duran emerged in the earlier part of the 80s so they had a lot of more time to establish themselves before the 90s um, arrived and, and everything changed so I think they also could endure that time and survive that time because they had built already a, a, a very strong following um, I don't think Johnny H. Jazz had enough time uh, seeing as Shattered Dreams was a hit in 1987 and, and uh, our first hit in the U.S. was not until 1988, which is Shattered Dreams again. So it's difficult to know. Um, yes, I think uh, it's very possible we would have endured and, 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 uh, and built quite a strong career for ourselves. But at the same time, you have to ask yourself, well, a, a lot of these things depend upon other factors, and that is, you know, how the band get on interpersonally, if, you know, they can overcome differences or not. And every band has, you know, there's always differences. That's inevitable. You know, you're essentially like a family and, and those kind of things are going to surface now and again. But with Johnny Hayes Jazz, I just don't think um, through the, the combination of the factors I just, I just mentioned, I don't think it probably would have held together anyway. Mm. That said... Is there a sense of regret? Yes, there is, to a degree. I think regret is quite a natural thing. I'm not someone who goes through life saying, you know, I don't regret anything. Well, I think it's a very uncritical way of looking at, at, at your own life. But I do regret to an extent. And there's a song on Magnetize called The Road Not Taken, um, which is really a song about um, releasing yourself from that sense of regret. Um, because it's a painful thing to carry with you. I think we all have things in our lives we look back on and think we could have done differently, and, and those things can haunt us and weigh us down if we're not careful. So it's important to acknowledge, yep, I could have done things differently, I could have done things better, but I was young, and I had a lot to learn, and um, I'm, uh, I'm on a, a, a good path now, and that's really what The Road Not Taken is about. Oh, it's fantastic. Now, let's talk about the 1990s, because um, you, you did make uh, several solo albums, which uh, I'm certainly going to go off and try and find. But I have to say, one of them, uh, Clark, I, I noticed uh, Fishing for Souls, 1992. It's £399 on Amazon. <laughs> yeah, well, the original, <laughs> that, that the original that version isn't, is... That isn't you, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's no, no. not me. That, uh, it, it's not me, no. I, uh, actually, that album was for sale for £500 at one point, um, just a couple of years ago. Um, actually, uh, far be it from me to um, steal the thunder of whoever is selling that bootleg copy for that amount of money, but you can download it from iTunes or Amazon <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, in, in its entirety. Um, yeah, Fishing for Souls became a rarity because uh, it wasn't formally released. Um, it was when it was just at a time when I, my relationship with Virgin Records hit an all-time low, and uh, Virgin was actually being sold to EMI at the time. 
as all of the all of the British labels were was were going through, they were all being sold off to to uh, international interests, and um, uh, and uh, there was a falling out between myself and Virgin, and, and the album wasn't put out, but but was bootlegged somehow. So it became a bit of a it it, it had a, developed a bit of a cult following. Um, until I managed to get my my uh, control of the album again and, and release it myself, it was a really I was very happy with the album. There's a song on there called "Broken Spirit," which really was destined to be a Johnny H. Jazz single had I stayed in the band. So anyone who listens to it probably will hear that in in the recording. Well, that's interesting. I mean, th- we should mention the other um, albums. I mean that. Uh, evidently is a rarity really fishing for souls but uh, there's 1990s rain dance and then a more recent album tomorrow in 2007 um yeah. could i ask you clark i mean if uh, listeners go investigating these solo albums maybe not paying nearly 400 400 pound for, for, for one of them but uh, <laughs> um they, they as you say they can download these but uh, will they hear johnny hates jazz in some of the music yeah, inevitably they will, because um, as a writer, that really is who I am. You know, you're perhaps thinking more of, when you listen to the solo stuff, especially tomorrow, the album tomorrow, you will hear times of of some Johnny Hayes jazz-isms, um, but uh, that's really because it's my voice, obviously, and my songwriting, so it's never that far away. But... That said, I think you hear more of it on Rain Dance because that was shortly after Johnny Hates Jazz, and um, there were a couple of songs that were destined to be on a future Johnny Hates Jazz album on Rain Dance. And I think that um, uh, it, it, you'll you'll find some familiarity there. Tomorrow took many many years to make, and is an entirely different being altogether. That's an album that does have a very clear environmental and spiritual focus and, but even through that um sonically and and uh, musically you're going to hear moments that you'll, you'll think to yourself well that is a uh, clearly that guy from johnny h jazz there's a track on tomorrow called nothing left to lose um which was really my first foray back into the realm of johnny h jazz which that which preceded um i mean writing magnetized actually Ah, so there are some connections. It sounds like yeah. uh, we, we do all need to go investigating these, you know, to, to build the complete picture, really. Just to, to sum up, really, I mean, you're on the eve of playing a series of dates in March um, 2016. What about getting back playing live? Because you haven't really done many live dates um, in recent times. You know, you've done, done sort of uh, big events like the festivals we've mentioned. They've been peppered around, really. But... Um, how easy is it getting back to playing live? You know, it's uh, it's actually uh, technically it's more of a challenge because you want you know we're, when we make records. Uh, I know again, a lot of musicians say this, and it, it, it sounds a bit of a sound bite now, but we are perfectionists and we do like to get things to sound as as good as possible. And in the live environment, unless you've got a lot of resource and a lot of time, that's sometimes challenging. But we work really hard to do that, and that's one of the great things about having Mike on the team because the engineering part of him comes to the fore there as well. Um, but it really, it's it, it goes back to 
the songs. Essentially, what do you start with? Well, you start with X number of songs for, you know, however long the set is going to be. And you have to find a way to communicate those songs effectively, knowing that it's not supposed to be exactly like the record. At the same time, you know, the records sounded the way they didn't, and, and people like that, and we like that. So we just kind of have to find that middle ground between it sounding exactly like a record, and it's, but it's sounding fresh in a way that is exciting for people to hear in a live context. So it's, uh, it's actually really enjoyable. We've got a great bunch of players with us as well, really, really good people. Um, so I think, uh, I think people who come along to the shows will really enjoy it. It's really good energy. And they can expect a, a real uh, cross-section of the, the new stuff and the classic stuff from the 80s, presumably. Well, we're playing most of the Turn Back the Clock album. Oh, this is good, yes. Not, not all of it. We thought, you know, it's good to just leave one or two back, you know, for a rainy day. But um, And some of the magnetized stuff as well. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting cause to hear them all together because they really do fit. They sound like they're from the same album in many ways. Uh, from a, a songwriting perspective, um, but uh, yeah, you, there's a there's a a lot of audience participation through that way. Oh, well, that's great. Yeah, I mean, can I just ask you? Did you did you do many tours back in the day? You know, back when you were having that massive success with the album and and the singles. We did a lot of promotion, which meant playing live at, um, in different situations, but. No, we didn't do any touring because I I left before that could happen. Ah, um, right. Pre Johnny H Jazz, I had done a lot of live work. Calvin had done a lot of live work. Mike had done quite a bit actually. Um, so we'd all independently done done quite a bit. But as Johnny H Jazz, that we weren't together long enough to create the tour situation. And 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 we have to remember that again in the nineteen eighties, studio work ruled. You know, you studio musicians were the most prevalent um tours were not what they are now tours are now enormous they're incredibly uh sought after and in demand back then it was records yeah um so you kind of did a tour on you know as a uh, not as an afterthought but it certainly was not the top of the list um so we didn't think back on that time or i certainly didn't and think um wow we, we should have toured that was the you know, that was an absolute must. No, the absolute must was making the best records you could. Now, of course, it's different, and uh, and, and it's it's very enjoyable. It's a very enjoyable difference, actually. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you've actually put your finger on that's another fundamental difference that um, we should remember, really, that, you know, the, the studio-based stuff. And, of course, most bands now make their living off the, off the gigs, don't they? They have to tour you know, uh, especially as there aren't big budgets and all the rest of it. But but that's the other point to make, really, Clark, is that this tour, and hopefully future tours, I mean, it's really a chance to see the band live for the very first time, isn't it? It is for a lot of people. Mm. For most people, actually, yeah. And, in a, you know, in, in a fairly intimate setting, we're not playing big theatres here, um, and that was a deliberate move, really, to reintroduce ourselves to the, to the live circuit. So it, it's going to, I don't think it'll stay that way. I think we're going to do other things later in the year and, and next year as well. Already we're, we're planning on that too. I think it's going to be a much larger scale. So it's a great situation to come to, to kind of have a much more personal experience of, of who and what Johnny Hates Jazz is. 